My concern is getting the family to the point that they make smart decisions together instead of having an I'm smarter than you attitude. Yeah. And if you can get that, then you can bring in the you can bring in the dream team of succession professionals. It's an easy conversation. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey, everyone. Tyler here, field agronomist with A Better Way to Farm, where we spend each and every day providing solutions to farmers to grow better crops and to make more money. I hope that you're having a great day, and thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Now, we have another episode with a special guest that will share some insight and perspective on how to address the scary and uncomfortable topic of farming succession. That guest is going to help us on this topic. He's a seventh-generation farmer with a self-taught BS degree that was living in Western Ontario, Canada. He's an author and developed a program with a 300% return on investment. We're absolutely going to be discussing how you can get that in this episode. Now, around 25 years ago, he began to help friends get through the difficult subject of future succession planning and remove the quote-unquote stubborn farmer from the conversation. He takes a two-year approach to affix the stubbornness between the family and groom a successor so that they maximize their full potential. He met this beautiful Midwestern farm girl named Bernadette, married her in 2017, and they moved to Mount Vernon, Iowa. If anybody knows where that's at, it's actually located in East Central Iowa. And they were able to buy a farm and currently have three wonderful boys. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today, Mr. Andy Cajun Junkin. Cajun, thank you very much for joining us today. Hey, lad. How are you doing today? We're doing good. I told you this before. I travel a lot right now, so I'm in Central Wisconsin. I'm just glad that I remember the hotel room and uh, no stranger is going <laughs> to walk through the door because I, I accidentally am sitting in the wrong room. So it's a fantastic day, yeah. dude. I used to put on uh, 70,000 miles on uh, kilometers on the car, saving farm families all across North America. A lot of times I didn't even know what state I was in. Um, so I totally get it. We yes. don't get off the farm. Like we do everything over Zoom here. And so we yep. don't get off the farm very often here now. I love it. I spend time with the kids and work 14 hour days here. So yeah, the video conferencing yeah, has really changed things. Change. Yep. 100%. So why don't you go ahead? As I do with everybody, we always kind of start with that whole, you know, Hey, tell me who you are, where you're from, what you do and all that fun stuff. Well, I, I think the first thing we got to talk about before we talk about me is how farming has changed in the last 50 years. Sure. Folks, there's been a lot of changes in technology. There's robotic milkers, there's uh, GPS and tractors. But I would say that the biggest change we've had in farming in the last 50 years, as far as technology standpoint, it's uh, modern health sciences. I mean, back in the 60s, when dad was 60, he would retire because his hips were shot. Um, nowadays, when dad's got bad hips, he goes in for hip surgery and he's farming to his 80s or 90s. And if you want to farm till the day you die, I'm all about making that happen. But the conundrum we have is instead of there being one generation farming at a time, we have and one person making decisions. We got three, if not four generations farming together. And mm-hmm. then because this technology is so darn expensive, we got three, four siblings or cousins farming together. And we got a situation where we got too many people butting heads and pulling the farm in different directions, right? And we can't yep. make decisions together. And we joke about it, but it ain't no joke. It's a huge problem. And, you know, I believe that, um, you know, you think about it, like how many of the decisions that should be getting made or not getting made are made well. And on the days that you're getting along, I think that's what people don't realize is that we're passive aggressive as farmers. And so <laughs> the days you're getting along good, you don't want to say anything to rock the boat. And the decision to not make a decision is a decision in itself. And half the decisions that. that should be getting made or not getting made or followed through on anyways. Yep. And there's a huge amount of money slipping between the cracks. It's a huge problem in agriculture nobody's ever recognized. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that was something that I've been fortunate enough to do a few of these interviews with with some of you. And I know that you have a different approach, which I'm absolutely looking forward to diving into. Even I, you know, I really didn't grow up on the farm per se, but, you know, my grandpa had a hundred tillable acres and even with just a hundred acres, there was unfortunately kind of a little rift in our family as well, just sure. over a little bit. So it doesn't matter, you know, this doesn't affect the 10,000 acre grower and that's it. I mean, it, it affects everybody, whether you're farming a hundred acres or a hundred thousand yeah. acres. 
We were a smaller operation. I'm originally from a little town called Bob Cage in Ontario, Canada. But what caused my family to be successful for seven generations is the fact that we were stubborn, right? Yep. But what caused my family to fall apart is the fact that we were stubborn. And I turned the, uh, the word stubborn from a bad thing to a good thing for farm families by getting everybody to stop being stubborn with each other yep. and start being stubborn at the habits that make a farm and a farm family successful. Yeah, that's the niche I've developed over the last 15 years. So when you look at kind of your background and where you got started as seventh generation farmer, I'm going to say it this way. What went wrong to get you to where you are today, helping well, helping these I, people yeah. out? Well, I mean, the last thing anybody would ever tell you that it would be that I'd be more than 10 miles away from Bob Cage in Ontario, Canada. Like the day I left for college, my mother, she showed me the farm financials and she said to me, if you don't fix these numbers, I'm leaving your father. So I went off to agriculture college to, to save the family farm, yep. find a wife because I'm related to everybody back home. Uh, <laughs> right. I accomplished ne- neither. So the thing is, is that uh, the thing is, is that when I was at college, the first week of school, I actually went. There was a course taught in the last semester related to business planning at agriculture college. Mm-hmm. I started that the first week of school. I went to seek out the professor, and I basically put a thousand hours into putting together a business plan. Whereas my uh, guys across the hall from me in the dorm, they did it the night before it was due. Their dads went and financed hog barns to be built in 96. But I gave this 200-page business plan to my father, and he looked at the cover, and then he opened the firebox, and he threw it straight in the fire. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And so every decision after that moment was, was just disastrous for our family. We had a so-called expert in succession planning coming out to our farm. Uh, he was there for about 20 minutes. And until my dad left angry and my mom went out on the front porch and she says to him, do not buy any more farming equipment until you got a business plan with your son. Now, <laughs> that's what she said to him. And just despite her, he went off to an auction sale and he came home with a manure spreader. And I oh, gosh. The, the crap hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Holy smokes. <laughs> Literally. I've been, I've been turning around situations ever since. Wow. Yeah. So is that what kind of got your passion started kind of as this yeah i mean farm family mentor thing or i mean there's some people that farming is a job or a career Mm -hmm. i mean for me it was who i was right and i was obsessed like what did i do wrong like because nobody in the county could understand what had happened was my dad actually um when i came home from college uh, my dad uh, actually plowed down my crops uh, the first year and that's because my uncle made the comment that my crops look better than my dad's. Oh, wow. And, and the mistake that I had made was when I came home with all these different ideas to improve the efficiency of the operation. Mm-hmm. And we had to. We were not in a situation where we could not change. But the thing is, every suggestion for change, I suggest my dad. My dad seen it as a criticism of what he was doing. And the, the mistake I made was I told my dad what to do. And mm-hmm. what was the wrong word? I should have been focused first on the why. And the why for us was getting an absolute truth. Like we were getting paid 83 cents a pound for our beef on the markets. Mm-hmm. Our cost of production was $1.23. And the thing is, we had to get our cost of production below 80 cents. Yep. But I failed to t- talk about that. I talked about all these wonderful ideas. I didn't talk about the absolute truth. And I think for every farm family, the first thing you got to do before you make any suggestions for change is you got to get an absolute truth with your family as to what are we in the business of doing. And for us, it would have been steers market for 80 cents a pound or going the other way and and trying to market our beef for $10 a pound retail. But the thing is, is we needed to get absolute truth. We failed to do that. And we failed as a farming partnership as a result. And so I say that the only thing that anybody can take from this conversation is your family has to have an agreement as to what is the absolute truth for your operation. And and you got to spray paint that number like for a lot of dairy farms, for instance, getting their cost of production down to $16 a hundred weight. So right now, milk price around 20 bucks, but at some point it's going to be $16, yep. right? Getting it down to $16 so that every year that you're making more than $16, you're putting that toward business expansion, business improvement. But that's an absolute truth that everybody can get behind. And then the phrase, everyone goes home happy. If you can get that, like a lot of farm families, like, like I'll show you this, this is... A wallet. I mean, I guess the folks back home can't can't see this, but I, right. I get. I have a family that this is what they got: consistently milk at 100 pounds, energy correctly milk for 15 dollars and 75 cents a hundred weight, and everyone goes home happy. 
Yep. And that got everybody from butting hands and pulling the farm in different directions to getting on the same page and getting everybody pulling the same direction. So I think that that's, I mean, I think that you're dealing with a lot of innovative farmers listening to a better way to farm. Yep. But, you know, quite often it cre- creates rift within families. And I mean, succession planning is a disaster. I've turned around the most dire farm debt and farm succession cases in 22 states and five Canadian provinces because if you're having arguments about how to squeeze out 10% here and there and improve efficiency, how are you supposed to talk about where the farm is going to be in 10 years' time? you got to fix the stubborn first. And if you can fix the stubborn first by getting families actually stubborn at listening to each other instead of talking over top of each other, and then get the successors to take their, that have potential to, to realize their full potential by getting good habits in place that make a farmer and good uh, farm, uh, farm family successful. After you do that, after you've taken how you make decisions together from good to great, then you can have a conversation about succession planning. It can be th- done in three hours. But until you have get rid of the stubborn first, if you sit down and you're stubborn at the wrong type of stubborn, it will end up as a 10-year family feud. So the easiest question is when the listener to this podcast is sitting there saying, you know what, that's totally me and, and my dad or, you know, me and my uncle or, or whatever. Brothers or sisters, that's, whoever. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the e- easy thing. But what do you say to those that, that really haven't had that discussion, but they don't know if they're stubborn or not? They haven't even asked the question yet, especially as it relates to kind of your business process. How, how would they go? And, and how would you make that recommendation? Like, look, this is what I do that's different. And if you haven't had that yeah. conversation or, again, like you're kind of smacking the fist together and, and yeah. saying, you know, you're butting heads, uh, how does that look different for your process compared to? Here, here's, a, here's a thing. I am proud that I have saved farms in 22 states and five Canadian provinces. There's a lot of people that speak on this topic, but I'm the guy that has the most man hours and actually t- dealing with the most dire situations across North America. A lot of folks have already had two, three so-called experts out to the farm mm-hmm. um, before I show up, and this it's a Hail Mary pass. And I'm proud of being able to help those farmers. But the process I've developed, it can take – I mean, I'm really excited. Like, we're delivering my workshop, for instance, at course universities like Dort College, right? Yep. And, and uh, different universities all across North America. And what I'm really proud of is that even if you're getting along great, anything you can do to improve the quality of decision-making – on the family operation, it's going to just skyrocket your farm profitability. Mm-hmm. More importantly, farming with family is fun again. So if you can take the concepts and apply it to your family to just take a good farm family to a great farm family, it's going to skyrocket your – it's going to – like a lot of farms, they, they're shocked that they're, they're known as the best farmers in the county. <laughs> I've, I've had farm families where they are getting awards. I've worked with four fa- families that actually won the award for being the best in their state. Those operations, we nearly doubled their profitability. Like, it's unbelievable if you change the dynamics of decision-making, how you change profitability, and, and farming the family is just fun. Yep. So why not do it as a proactive approach instead of a reactive? And that's a 100% the truth. Like, that's what everybody needs to understand because, yeah, I, I even experienced this personally, but I know tons of friends. I mean, I mean, I grew up in central Iowa. You're blessed to live in eastern Iowa now. You know, you got to yeah. move from the frigid cold of western Ontario. <laughs> so. The frigid cold of Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I uh, th- this is yeah. definitely as far north as I would ever live. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but when you go back and, and you look at all my friends that I went to Iowa State with and, all, and everybody, that's kind of the deal, right? That you've got to figure out a way to be proactive about really anything. But honestly the whole succession planning concept got to be proactive. So the challenge for our generation, I mean, every generation's had a challenges, right? And farming has changed every generation, but the challenge, these hippies in California say that the family farm is dead. Yeah. The truth is there's never been a generation where the term family farm is more relevant because we've got multiple generations, multiple siblings and the, and anything, I mean, instead of pretending that you have a, a, a perfect farm family, why not admit that you're not perfect and but strive to be? Yeah. And just take how you work together from good to great. So with that kind of that mindset, especially as as you've kind of developed a workshop over the years, what has that alluded to? Because, it, you know, I, I know that your demand is high. And is that something that you're trying to do for efficiency or where did that kind of that process? Well, I'm just I'm just one, I'm just one man trying to save as many family farms across North America as possible and change mm-hmm. how agriculture is done. 
because I know what it's like not to get together for with your family for Christmas and what it's like to not be farming, even though like my dad's passionate about farming and so am I. And just the, the fact that we were stubborn and the wrong type of stubborn caused us to fail. Yeah. And so basically what I've done is I've developed a whole approach, a different philosophy uh, to farm management, farm succession planning, and we've gone viral and mm-hmm. I can only, I'm only one man. So the thing is I give away my best ideas in one day workshop and I actually have a book and it's cookie cutter. There's a, there's a, a 90 day workbook. So you can actually take the ideas from the course and just implement it on your own. And to me, it's, it's all about saving family farms and, and not just saving. Like we have a lot of farms that have adapted the process that are just about to split up, but there's a lot of families that just take it from good to great. And it's always wonderful to see that too. And so as you kind of developed that and you're taking these family farms from good to great, you also have uh, this 9,000 hour rule. Can you kind yeah. of explain that for, for those of us that yeah. haven't seen any no. of your work before? Uh, I'm, yeah. I mean, I have, I have funny ideas when it comes to farming because I've been through situations, but basically my philosophy is that in succession planning is the 9,000 hour rule is basically for the first three years that a son or daughter come home from college, Right they've got to work 3000 hours. I mean, that's just, you got to be this tall to get on the ride. And then <laughs> yep. every month you just got to go through performance review and you've got to make one improvement in your performance every month. So if you have a successor that, you know, that's 24 months, you've taken your performance from good to great. And during that time, there's two things I want to do is over that time is really evolve how the family makes decisions together. So instead of having an I'm smarter you attitude between my partners, and talking over top of each other, we get the farm families to start making smarter decisions together. Yep. And, and I, uh, how I do that in person is, is I do it over Zoom. I, I have family business meetings with farmers all over North America. Yep. And, and basically what we do is we just evolve how the family makes decisions together. And then every month, we just make one improvement in how the family works together and one improvement in production and getting everybody listening to each other's ideas. And then suddenly behind the scenes, I'm coaching everybody to just change their character, make one improvement in the character. And if you have a patriarch and, uh, and a, a son or a daughter make 24 changes to their character over two years, you've got a whole different environment as far as uh, that's, I mean, a lot of the farms we work with nearly double their profitability, but more importantly, farming is fun again. And then we do succession planning, right? And what we do is we just simply, it's a, an afternoon conversation and we, like I've got the dream team of people to work with and mm-hmm. uh, decisions can get made in a couple hours instead of it being a 10 year family feud where everybody's angry at each other. And so yep. you got to fix a stubborn first and then you can have a conversation that's easy. But if you don't fix a stubborn first, it's going to turn into a 10 year family feud. Yeah. And so th- what I do is, is that the attitude is, is that after 24 months, uh, then we have a, a conversation about su- a succession planning. And it's not like the son or daughter are going to be gifted assets, but it's going to be clearly spelled out, how do I earn my way into this operation over the next 30 years? Sure. So that I'm not having to buy the farm at an estate sale after mom died at, and have to buy a combine that I've been trying to fix for the last five years from the neighbors or have to buy the, the, the farms. You know, that a, a lot of farms, they, they nearly double the asset appreciation and the, their lifespan. And then they're stuck having to buy it all back again from their siblings. And so I think that's very unfair to both. Um, it just cause, it kills family farms as far as, a, I mean, only 12% of farms pass on to the third generation for that reason. The way we're doing succession planning is based on 17th century common law. Farming has changed since the 17th century, and I don't think folks have realized that. If I went to work, Apple Computers was founded by Steve Jobs and Wozniak. They didn't just have their managers work for them for 40 years on the, under the promise that, you know what, when I die, I'll be nice to you. Yep. There was a clearly spelled out plan after the, the managers proved their worth, right? They worked for them for a couple of years. Then there was an option plan in place. Yep. And what the $9,000 rule is, is that you work for, for two years, prove yourself, have consistently good performance reviews, and then you do a state, uh, state planning. And then there's a year window that we just continue to make sure the successor and continue to prove their performance. And then also that mom and dad are okay with the concept. And after year three, we get a deal in place and it's just a strategy. And mm-hmm. I think that's the issue with succession planning is that it's a business strategy, right? That's all it is. And whether you're, you're talking about expanding a barn or doing succession planning, we never sit down as a family to make decisions together at the kitchen table. 
And as a result, it turns into World War III because everybody goes into that meeting, whether it's talking about a barn expansion or talking about succession planning, everybody goes into the meeting stubborn. Yep. And they, they go in with their expectations and they get really upset really quick when everybody doesn't have the same expectations. Mm-hmm. You got to fix the stubborn first. You got to get everybody listening to each other and accepting that everybody's not going to have the same opinion as you, but you got to be able to look instead of bullying your opinion, you got to look at things five different ways and you got to be able to make good decisions together. And what I'm focused on is problem solving, how we problem solve so that when there's not a problem that cannot be solved. If you fix that first, then whether it's growth or expand uh, for as far as expansion, going in a different strategic direction with the farm or doing succession planning, it all can be done. And there's no hesitation from the patriarch that, you know, 30 years from now that that successor won't be successfully farming because what during that two-year process, well, every month we're continuously improving. There's three things I work on, uh, changing beliefs, evolving character flaws, and skill deficiencies. In those three categories, if you make a change with a successor in those three categories every month over 24 months, you're going to have a successor that you will have no hesitation uh, signing over the farm assets to gradually over a period of time. And everybody's going to, I mean, more, and also you have a way that's fair to the non-farming siblings in place because you're able to have intelligent conversations together as a family. I really appreciate that 9,000 hour rule as well, because there's a book Malcolm Gladwell wrote about. Uh, 10,000 hours. Yes. That's right. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, you know, and I think the thing is, is that everybody looks at the transfer of assets, who gets what, how to avoid paying taxes. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever looks at the transfer of of management, right? And I think that that has to have, like, I have a son, he's uh, four years old, and he sees me playing the fiddle. Yep. And he thinks that's real easy. But for him to pick up that fiddle and he plays it, it's just awkward and terrible, right? Let's be honest with you. As much as I tell him he's doing a great job. Yep. And that's for a lot of patriarchs, when we get home to the farm is that, you know, uh, the son does certain or daughter does certain jobs. And then there's, there's jobs like commodity trading or doing the books. Yeah. That's done by the matriarch or patriarch. Yes. Quite often, you know, there's a funeral and everybody had full confidence in son and daughter's competence, but then their son realized, well, I've never done the books. I had a buddy, he was 35, he put in two years worth of crops by himself and took it off because his dad had cancer, he was in and out of the hospital, never thought twice about there being any hesitation, he was a good guy, he had four kids, he was a hockey coach, he was a 4-H leader, the ideal farmer as far as I'm concerned. He lost $500,000 in six weeks after the funeral because he never traded corn. Wow. He, he took an online course, it taught him all the wrong things, mm-hmm. and he almost lost the farm. Oh, and so goodness. I think the issue we have in succession planning, I mean, before we start doing estate planning, let's make sure that the successor, the key jobs that, look, if in that situation, if his dad wanted to trade corn till the day he died, God bless him, he can do it. But he, uh, his son should have been trading 5% of the corn, 5% of the beans. So he had 10,000 hours of experience doing it before the lightning hit the father, mm-hmm. right? So I think for every farm family, we got part of my process where, where I emphasize it's how do we make sure we have the skills, we have the yep. character evolved so that there's no hesitation about the son or daughter being successful 30 years from today? Because, you know, what the hell's the sense of a farmer spending their entire lives to build up a successful farm if it's gone in 50 years' time? So right? how's the best way that you approach that? Because there are, I'm, I'm calling more of a, you're not scooping grain or, you know, yeah. going out to the hog barn and, you know, with the shovel. So when you look at selling grain or doing some of the book work or even buying inputs, What's the best way for that next generation to learn these skills? Yeah, I mean, just simply on that 24-month period, every month I'm making sure that the patriarch gets a son and the daughter. Mm -hmm. There's another lesson being taught, and there's more responsibility being transitioned to the son or daughter, right? And so something like bookkeeping, for instance, I mean, I'm not saying that the the son or daughter uh, start writing checks, but I do within the first year of me working with the family, I want to see the son and daughter making out the checks and plug in, uh, working with the patriarch or matriarch. Sometimes it's grandma who's 87, right? But making sure that the grandson and granddaughter are learning to do that. Grandma can control the check. Uh, she can write checks until the day she dies. But it's important that the son and daughter learn how money flows in and out of the operation because that is the biggest liability. I mean, this back in the 80s, if you took over and you didn't know how to job, you can learn from mistakes. 
right? Yep. And, and yep. it used to be that if you made mistakes, you could go drive the school bus for the winter. But the thing is now, if you make a few, a few mistakes, you're going to be driving a school bus for the rest of your life and living in a school bus. Uh, yes. Right? Yeah. And, and I think that that's the difference in between now and then. So the way we're doing all like um, estate planning, as, as far as folks are doing it, I'm getting folks from Australia. I'm getting folks from uh, South Africa, even in, mm-hmm. in England, signing up for this workshop because there's nobody taking this approach. But I believe... We got to make sure that we're stubborn at the habits to make a farm successful before we talk about where the farm's going to be in 30 years time. Sorry to, to yeah. interrupt there, but kind of taking that to the next step is that we know that, that some people just kind of have these kind of higher level tasks that they do. But, yeah. but honestly, even when you look at the farming operation, you could have that young kid or you got the guy that drives the the combine or they just drive the sure. grain cart guy, right? That's the biggest joke on, on social media is, is the grain cart guy, you know, the, and they always yeah. make the mistake. So that's all they get to do is just drive the grain cart. How important do you think it is that these farm families in kind of your program address like, Hey, you know what? There's not one job for anybody and everybody specifically. Nobody's above doing, doing anything. Everybody needs to do every single job. After working with me for two years, I, anybody can be hit by lightning and the farm will be successful 30 years from today. That's an absolute truth. But I think the thing is, is that, you know, not are we transferring skills, but we're transferring mindsets. So we got to identify the mindset of what made the farm successful mm-hmm. and something like hard work. Like there's a lot of farms, like I'm working with a farm in New York right now. The grandparents and the parents work from sun up to sundown every day and that farm successful the, the kids are not willing to put they think they're they're working 40 hour weeks but really a lot of weeks they're only working 10. Mm-hmm. well i want to make sure we transition the wisdom and that the character what made that farm successful so that we know that 40 years from now that family will be still growing and growing and more importantly identifying okay every family has a few flaws even though we don't want to admit it to the neighbors <laughs> right. and, and honestly like you know what take i took a farm to to be successful to this date might be have been a certain level of a type of management. Well, it might not be appropriate for the size of the operation going uh, that that's going to be in the future. Taking the way we work farm together, taking the culture from good to great from that aspect too. So I think it's really important to identify uh, core values that made the farm successful. And that I've got uh, a few things that got to change in order for the farm to get to the next level. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I work with a family, and uh, as a result of this workshop, you can actually get. I identify that and we, we actually get it written inside the wallet. Oh, that's uh, cool. So that you can actually, it's in not just in your wallet, but your dad's wallet, your sister's wallet. Everybody's carrying it in the back pocket. And we have an agreement within the family as to how are we going to farm? You know, there's many ways to milk a cow. The thing is, is that everybody's got to milk the cow the same way. Yep. Right. If you don't, you're going to have, you're going to get mastitis. Yep. Well, there's many ways to farm. The thing is, we got to get an agreement as to what made the farm successful to date, what we got to change. We got to get on the same page as how we're farming. And then 1% of the time, we got to have a time place where we think outside the box. But the rest of the time, we got to be pulling the, pulling the teats and the cow the same way. Yep. Yeah. And so, again, kind of going back to your approach, but also with what you just said about making this kind of go the right way and, and working this as a business, you know, we've had a couple like actual, you know, succession planners on there and, and sure. you know, you Cajun, you're doing things differently, a similar concept, yeah. but in a different way. But last week we had uh, Jolene Brown on our episode and she said that, that you really need to prioritize being a, a business first family over being a family first business. So how can like performance reviews for family members or employees, you know, having like a payroll for everybody in those areas, you know, whether it's teamwork or, you know, task completion or job, a job performance review. How do you view that in kind of your approach? Well, obviously we're teaching every, every month I'm working with a family. I'm making one improvement, how they work together. I'm making sure that there's one skill transition. I'm looking at uh, one change in character. Mm-hmm. And every month we do a performance review. I'll, I'll read you the 10 questions, okay? And these are the questions we ask the su- successor. And then after the first year, we do a 360-degree performance review. And we'll talk about that mm. in a minute, okay? Yeah. So we ask the same questions of, of the patriarch and matriarch as well. For After the son and daughter have proven that they're potential partners after the first year, yep. we do 360. And these are 10 simple questions. 
and nobody's going to get a perfect score, right? We just get everybody the, like a report card, A to F, right? Nobody's going to get a perfect score, but then after the end of each asking these questions, we identify one improvement that the successor can make to the performance, right? And then we follow up in the three months after to say, did this happen or not? And then we'll talk about that in a second. So here are the questions. Are they a joy to work with? That's the first question. <laughs> yeah. Are they able to think outside the box and bring quality ideas to the table? Three, do they listen or do they just talk? Can you make decisions with them? Or are they conforming to the farm's cultural values or defying them? And that ties into those 10 values I was talking to you earlier about, like what made the farm successful, what's got to change. Are they trying to follow through on a personal improvement goals? And a big part of what I do is basically get everybody to be the best version of themselves all the time. Yeah. And then accountability, do they follow through on what they said they do? And the seventh point is, uh, are they good at handling crucial conversations? Are we just passive aggressive and avoiding conflict? Are we actually able to, to deal with things in a professional way? Do they think about themselves, about the needs of other everyone else, or just themselves? Ooh, I like and that. And then would a stranger gift them equity as a performance bonus for their contribution to the farm this month? And then overall, are they a partner friend that anybody would want to have? The thing is, you've got to be this tall to get on the right. Yeah, right. If, if you have a successor that goes a couple months and they have poor performance reviews, let's say that you make a suggestion that they show up to the barn on time. Right. Yep. Instead of being 20 minutes late to, the, to do chores every day, you've got to be five minutes early or mm-hmm. else, you know, if you consistently show up late, then really who would want to take you on as a partner? Right. Well, if you go two, three months with that a poor lack, lackadaisy performance, then we got to have a real discussion about why. There's some people, they are passionate about farming. Some people are there because it's easier than going out and getting a real job. Sure. And so, but the thing is a lot of guys get trapped into a lifestyle where they live in somebody else's dream, not their own. And so that, that performance review process helps us uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. And, you know, it also helps. And so that if a successor really hasn't got the passion for farming, isn't wanting to improve, like either you're going to be stubborn at adapting habits that make you a better farmer, or you're going to be stubborn. Right. Then you're not going to be successful in the long term. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, but if you see farming as an opportunity to become a better person, and you, I mean, you're always going to go five steps forward, one step back. But as long yep. as you're, you're always trying to improve yourself, that's the successor I want to invest in. Yeah. Right. And the thing, same thing, I think the dark secret about succession planning is that there's, well, 77% of farms do not have a succession plan. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. But the, the, the 23% of farms that do, it's actually hostile takeovers. Not all of them, but I'd say at least half. And, and talking to other succession planners, that's what they see is, I mean, Basically, they make a big story to the neighbors how it's for the best, but basically dad's getting kicked off the farm. Yeah. And, and it might be that the ink's dry and everybody's getting along for a couple months, but then the, the dad makes a comment about the son's management skills. Yep. Son takes it the wrong way and says, dad, you don't need to go out to the shop anymore. Yeah. And the dark, secret, <laughs> the dark secret is that there's a lot of patriarchs looking out the window at their shop and they're not welcome in the shop and they die with their slippers on instead of their work boots. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what I'm doing in that two-year process is making sure we can all work together. But the successors this tall to get on the ride, but also we're able to work together. So it doesn't matter who has more equity in the safe. It's us against the world, not us against each other. So one of the things that w- when you bring up kind of maybe labor equity, I guess I might call it in this situation. Yeah. You had mentioned before about, you know, maybe even giving back like stock options or something like yeah. that to a kid or, or that, that successor that has kind of put forth the effort, put forth the labor. Explain that a little bit to the audience. I think the thing is from, from a tax standpoint, I don't want to talk in front of the IRS too much about this topic. It's, I mean, my concern, I mean, for a farmer, this seems complicated because you've never gone through it. For a good a chartered accountant, a good lawyer, it's an easy conversation, right? But the thing is, is that I just, my concern is getting the family to the point that they make smart decisions together instead of having an I'm smarter than you attitude. Yeah. And if you can get that, then you can bring in the you can bring in the dream team of succession professionals. It's an easy conversation. I mean, I, I think that that's, I mean, a lot of folks get focused on who gets what, how to avoid paying taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is why 77% of farms do not have a succession plan. And that's why you see so many all darn disasters. Yeah. Right? And both as far as like, auction sales and also 
Sometimes estate planning happens where they just focus on the transfer of assets and how to avoid paying taxes. But then 15 years after the patriarch or matriarch are passed on, that farm's been pissed away because yeah, basically the, uh, any fool can give a son and daughter a tractor. Yeah. Very few farmers are, are able to teach their kids how to make that tractor pay. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So the, you, you brought up some character traits and stuff. So what would you say when you're kind of working on these farm families over that course of the two-year period, what are some character adjustments that are, that are kind of in the, the top areas? What, what do you see most that you need to work on? And, and how are they able to work on that with you in these sessions? Well, I think the thing is, is that a lot of farmers will pretend that they're perfect and mm-hmm. want to shift blame and point blame in their partners, but not want to admit fault in their own. For me, what it's about is I don't care how good of a person you are. Everybody's got 5% about themselves that is a character flaw, whether that's being passive aggressive, procrastinating, or even having a drinking uh, drinking habit, yep. right? The thing is, I don't care what the character flaw is. That 5% is what kills 53% of family farm, Wow. right? And the thing is, if you take it from 5% down to 1%, you're going to triple the odds of the family still farming again in 30 years time. Right. And, and more importantly, if you get, I mean, the kids are coming home from college. Nobody gets married expecting to get a divorce. Nobody goes home to farm with their family expecting there's going to be problems. Right. right. And this, this sunshine and unicorns attitude or how it's going to be happily ever after. Mm-hmm. That's what's killing farms. Right. We got to be realistic and say, uh, we're going to have problems working together. Yep. Let's get really good at problem solving first. Yep. And then there's not a problem we can't tackle. See, Cajun, you need to understand one thing about me, though, boss, is that my mom told me that I was perfect. So, so it's everybody else's fault and not mine. Cause I know that I'm a perfect little angel and I have all the participation trophies in my room to prove that I'm perfect. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I have that too. And, and, and they're still in my bedroom, but I'm not living in Canada anymore because right. of that. So, yeah. So with that being said, kind of this, I don't want to call it one mind philosophy or whatever, but kind of getting everybody kind of on the same track. Does ultimately everybody need to have the same goal at the end of this thing or how does that work? I mean, getting everybody on the same page. And I think that that's what's shocking to a lot of folks. I, I mean, you want a simple academic exercise, take a blank piece of paper and get three partners to go in a different room and write out on one piece of paper where the farm's going to look like in 10 years' time. <laughs> Have you, is there right? anybody that ever does anything the same? It's all going mean, to be different. I mean, the thing is, is that it's like, like say, let's say there's, there's a father, son, and daughter. This is a story I like to tell is father, son, and daughter, they go on family vacation. Daughter comes out. She's wearing Mardi Gras beads. That's winter. <laughs> and, and the son, he throws a skis in the back of the truck. Right, because he wants to go to Colorado skiing, mm-hmm. and then the father he comes out with just wearing flip flops and speedos, and he wants to drive as far south until he, he doesn't need to wear a shirt. Mm-hmm. And everybody looks uh, the, uh, the son and the daughter look at the dad strange because well he's always been strange, and so they just get in the truck and they they just crank up that radio. And the first couple of hours, it's like they're on family vacation. They don't talk about where they want to go. Yep, they're just they're just driving. Right. And that's the environment we have on the family farm. The first couple of years, we're going to talk about where we want to go. We, we talk about our dreams. We think our partners heard about our dreams. Mm-hmm. Like the son was talking all fall about going skiing. Yeah. He just assumes everybody's on the same page. And then the thing is they took turns driving. They, they get frustrated when they see that the, the person's driving the wrong way and they don't say a thing. They're just passive aggressive. But yep. you know, that environment in that truck, it just you can start to cut the air with the knife. And that's where a lot of farms are by the sun, time the sons and daughters in their 40s, yep. right? We've been driving the truck different ways. And, you know, by the end of the week, you know, they could have been there where they any of those destinations within a day. But a week later, they're still stuck on the side of the road in Muskoka, Oklahoma, without <laughs> gas, without a credit card, right? And run out of cash. And I don't know if you've ever been in Muskoka, Oklahoma, but it's nothing worth singing about. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is that, the thing is, is that, had they had a conversation for three minutes, they would have agreed that they none of them wanted to go to the same place, but they could yep. have all agreed upon going to Nashville, Tennessee, and they could have been there in a day. Yeah. I think that it's as simple as getting an absolute truth. What are we in the business of doing? And I think when I work with a family, what I work, do is get a, I, I don't want to talk about expansion. I don't want to, I, I think it's a sin for family to pour concrete until we've had at least three years that we, first of all, evolve how we work together as a family and make sure that everybody really wants this. 
But more importantly, I want to get a family going towards a short-term goal, what, yeah. what's realistic within two years. Mm-hmm. Given the cards we have, let's not talk about anything fancy. Let's not talk about any big expansion. Let's just take the facilities we have, make them work. Let's get an extra 20% profit out of, these op- uh, out of this facility. And then we can talk about where the farm is going to be in 20 years' time. So looking at that 20 years time, there's going to be probably opportunity to make some purchases. And, uh, and I, I like your take on this because, you know, it's part of this whole stubborn farmer philosophy that you're trying yeah. to break is that you don't really sugarcoat stuff. And that's part of the deal is that sometimes, again, we live in this world of rainbows and butterflies. But where is your stance for, for the people who haven't heard this? Where is your stance on buying ground, do you buy farm ground first? Or maybe do you look at something else that you should buy first? There's two different ways we want to answer that question. Is is first of all, the issue we have with farmers is that when I either I'm doing farm succession or farm debt turnarounds, mm-hmm. everybody's one is like it's like lighting a fire. You start with a kindling first and then you add larger and larger logs as the fire can handle it. Mm-hmm. The problem we have with succession planning is everybody's wanting to take a big chunk of log and try and get a fire lit with that. Right. Right. You got to get spent two years just gradually expand the scope of decision making. That first conversation shouldn't be about buying the farm next door or farming next to 3,000 acres. How do we just take the current facilities and how can we squeeze out an extra 10% here and there? What I start off with is we start with $1,000 decisions. Yep. Everybody's got to come to the table with an idea to improve farm efficiency by a thousand bucks this month. And it's got, uh, it can't cost more than a thousand bucks. It's got to return 3000 bucks. And, you know, as a result, in most meetings we have between five to $10,000 improved efficiency, but more importantly, we fundamentally problem solved how they problem solve. And so when we talk about the opportunity to buy the farm next door, yep. it's an easy, complicated decision and we can have complex decision-making without it butting heads. Right. But I think the first piece of ground that a son or daughter should be buying is plotting a little cemetery down the road. And the thing is, is that, you know, I, I really do believe that, you know, a son and daughter have to really understand and know thyself. Where we get in problems of succession planning is that we we're out of touch with what we're really about. The first piece of ground a son and daughter has to ask, do, ask is, do I want to live here in this county the rest of my life? And do I want to be a steward of the land of the land that's of the 10 miles around this little cemetery plot? And more importantly, the question that the family's got to be asked is, okay, we're going to be buried 10 feet from each other. How do we make sure we can be five feet from each other and have a civil conversation so that, you know, the family farm can either be heaven on earth or can be hell on earth. Mm-hmm. And so that two year period, I want to take it from, you know, some frustrations to being, I mean, it will never be heaven on earth, but we can get close. Yep. Right. And, and so the, the question is, how do we create heaven on earth? And if you can get a family working towards creating heaven on earth by trying to be stubborn at the things that matter instead of stubborn with each other, um, you can actually achieve it. I really like that outlook on it. Although, again, it's very difficult for anybody, especially at a, at a younger age. You know, you're asking a 25-year-old or maybe a 30-year-old to have some of these conversations with their parents. And that's a difficult conversation, but certainly one that needs to be had. Speaking of kind of the end first, what would you say are kind of three goals that you need to accomplish before you die? And why do you think those are important ones to try to address? Well, I think the, the question of your family, I mean, if you're frustrated with working with your family, the real question has got to be, how do we create heaven on earth within two years with what we got? Mm-hmm. And when we get everybody thinking that way, um, it changes everything. It, it changes everything. I mean, the game changer for me, you know, I think as farm families, we talk about what we don't want, but we don't get hyper-focused on what we do want. Right. right? And as a result, we get focused on distractions and, and not being willing to make sacrifices as a result. There, there was a situation um, that was a game changer for me. 15 years ago, I started off as a mediator. My life goal now is to get rid of the need for a mediator altogether. Yep. And, and there, was a, there was a moment I was on a farm and there was two brothers in a partnership and their dad had died seven years before. Basically, the two sister-in-laws were saying things to each other that could not be taken back. Uh, they said that they had me out there to sort out the family problems, but the truth was they had me out there to get a divorce. Yeah. Right? And the two sister-in-laws had actually been best friends back in high school. But seven years of dysfunctional decision-making had led to a dysfunctional family and dysfunctional farm. Mm-hmm. And grandma was at the end of the kitchen table, and all they had me out there to do 
was to try to convince grandma that they were in the right and that their, their uh, partner were in the wrong. This had been about five years in me mediating all these family farms. And I was starting to get frustrated, right? Because the, I mean, again, here was another family that was stubborn, right? And I looked out at the kitchen window and there was this kid and he was about 16 years of age and he was leading his 4-H calf. His mom's comment, I just met the kid before I walked in and comment about how good of a kid he was. His mom's complaint about that 16-year-old kid was that he wouldn't change his clothes to go. When he went to school, he'd go to milk cows every morning, wouldn't change his clothes still have manure on his boots when he went to school. Oh yeah. And he was mm-hmm. proud of that. Cause I mean, uh, mom was disgusted, but the son was proud of it. And <laughs> yeah. secretly you could see the dad and uncle were as well. <laughs> that kid just lived the farm. Yeah. Right. But the thing is I was looking at that kid, it was all going down and they, I mean, the here, the farm was bringing out the best in that kid. Right. Yet yeah. inside that kitchen, the farmers bring out the worst than everybody there mm-hmm. because they were talking about what they didn't want. They weren't talking about what they did want. Yep. Right. They weren't hyper focused on what they wanted to accomplish. They were stubborn with each other instead of stubborn at what they actually wanted. And they weren't stubborn at uh, turning their bad habits into good habits so that they have the farm and the farm family that uh, would be successful. Yeah. And there was this moment that I glanced over, and this is a family that read the Bible three times a day. And the words were written in red on the Bible, Matthew 7 5. It said, Do not take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye until you've taken the plank out of your own. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I think the one thing, I don't care if you're Protestant, Catholic, or if you believe Elvis is still alive. I mean, the, the, I mean, those words are true is, is that, you know, the, the only thing you need to understand is that we got to stop being stubborn with each other. And we got to mm-hmm. start being stubborn with the habits, make a farm and farm family successful. And we got to obviously be working towards the same goals, but we got to be willing to make sacrifices. And we got to look at farming as a challenge to become a better person. And if you do that, everything else will flow downhill. And with saying that, and all of these families that you work with, obviously you're hoping that the situation ends well and you work through that, but you have an interesting concept when it comes to basically your payment method. On your website, you say, hey, look, you know, I am confident enough in myself that I will absolutely provide a a 300% return on your investment if this is something you move forward to. And and you often don't truly invoice people. You kind of put that in their hands and if they find value in what you provide to them, that you ask that they make a contribution or or write you a check at at that point. Can you kind of explain that that philosophy? Well, well, I mean, there's a lot of shysters in farm succession planning. Like, mm-hmm. I don't sell life insurance. I don't sell any financial products. Or all, I mean, my family fell apart because of those guys. The thing is, is that I want everybody to come to the table. And if you have everybody, look, it, it can be as simple as when I sit down with a family, everybody's coming to the table with an idea to improve farm efficiency, right? And it's got to return yep. 300% what they pay. If everybody's coming to the table and improving both with the intent of improving the farm's profitability, I mean, obviously, the, sky, the farm's profitability is going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. But it also reflects a bigger thing as, as, as to are we willing to improve ourselves? Yep. And as a result, you know, I can only help so many family farms, right? So the thing is, is that I want to see that everybody's coming to the table every month and giving it their all to be the right type of stubborn, right? Yep. They're not an, a, a stubborn SOB where they expect <laughs> everybody else to make changes, but not being willing to make the change themselves. Yeah but they're willing to see farming as a challenge, become a better person. And as a result, we can skyrocket farms profitability and farming with families is fun again. Yeah. which And that's why I'm able to guarantee what I do. Yeah. And so I, I really do appreciate your approach. Yeah. It, it is, like I said, it, I think it's a little more harsh in the beginning, but, but ultimately it's, it's met with, you know, knit gloves really is that, you know, this process is going to take time, but we have to open up these conversations and have serious dialogue about the future. And I can absolutely appreciate that. So is there anything else as we, as we kind of start to wrap this episode up, is there anything that really you would like to tell our audience as they're listening to this? I I think all of this is that we developed this workshop so you can actually do it on your own. We initially designed this course and we we delivered in person and and it's great to look in people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. But the thing that we have actually found so we were doing workshops in bank and small little boardrooms across North America. But yeah. what we were actually finding is that the online workshops is like farming through stubborn family and ominous. Yeah. So essentially <laughs> what, what I do is, is I offer this every Tuesday and Saturday, 
right? And we basically have between five to 10 farmers from mm-hmm. all over North America. At the beginning of the me- meeting, we just simply asked, does anybody here know each other? Yes. And if there's two farmers that are neighbors or that they do business with each other, we just simply get them to play rock, paper, scissors, and one guy takes the next class. Yep. Right. So basically what we found is, yes, I gave away my business processes in the book as a, as a turnkey yep. 90 day program. You yep. can do it on your own. But what we found is that, and it's not a video or nothing like that, you're able to talk and ask me as many questions as you want in the dialogue between uh, myself and the farmers and the, the other farmers asking each other questions. I mean, it's, it's a whole different experience. It's like alcoholics anonymous for stubborn farm families, right? And, yes. and you wouldn't believe what you learn from each other because you might be hearing a message from your son, right? But to hear it from another man's son helps you better understand what that guy's going through. And oh, helps it's you understand super impactful. It's amazing. But then the thing is, I don't charge until after you've taken the course and you feel 100% satisfied. You just send me a check. Yeah. If you don't want to send me a check, that's fine too. Uh, but we haven't had anybody not pay or not like it. We're getting good reviews. So, and you can go to my website to see the reviews as well. So, yeah. And I, and I did want to, to mention that right, right. As we close out, you know, all of you that are listening, I want to mention that Andy is a, an author and he has a book called bulletproof your farm. You can absolutely get that for free. Nowadays, you can't get anything for free. Everything is inflated, yeah. uh, you know, eggs, we're buying eggs for eight, nine, ten bucks a carton right now. It's absolutely insane. So I appreciate you offering up that book for free. Well, I mean, the thing I'm I'm in the business of saving family farms and changing how we're doing agriculture. Yep. And if it costs me five bucks and it changes where you're going to be in fifty years time, what's that, right? So this yep. is this is what I'm all about doing. So be happy to send you the mail. We actually do it audiobook, so you could actually, if you go to my website, you can listen to the audiobook this afternoon if you want. Oh, fantastic! Um, but I mean. But a lot of families, uh, a lot of guys, it takes them about an hour and a half, two hours to read. So they can, it's written so you can actually get the concepts with an, a sitting down for an evening, right? Yep. Getting and through so, it. Yeah. yeah. The reason why I give it away is that there's nobody else doing what I'm doing across across the world, apparently, but uh, definitely across yes. North America. Yeah. So, you know, and all I'm asking folks is just, just go try out a workshop. Give me a Saturday morning. Try it out. If you don't like it, you don't have to pay for it. But I guarantee you it will change the probability of your family still farming again in 30 years' time. Yeah, and I can absolutely appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate being on here. You take care and God bless. Andy, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today. We greatly appreciate the conversation, my man, and absolutely look forward to our clients taking your advice and being less stubborn so that they can stop butting heads and, as you say, pull the farm in the same direction. Now, again, check out Andy's website. Get that free book, Bulletproof Your Farm. Go to www.stubborn.farm and you'll be able to find that in other resources. We hope that you enjoyed this final episode on succession planning. And as always, we hope that you have a better day. A better way to farm.com. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.